Welcome to the One O'ahu Podcast. I'm Brandi Higa, and today is Thursday, June 8th, 2023. And joining us this week is Heart Executive Director and CEO, Lori Kahikina, as well as her Deputy Executive Director and COO, Rick Keen. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you for having us. Uh, thank you, Brandy. So we're just about three weeks to opening day for our rail system. I just want to get some initial thoughts. And I don't mean what the public can expect come June 30. We'll get to that in a minute. But what I want to know is what this milestone means to you personally. So, Laurie, I want to start with you. Sure. Um, I've been telling the media that it's it's bittersweet. You know, it's like your child graduating from high school and you're sending them off to college. It's so exciting to bring the project, turn it around and bring it to this point. But it's also sad. You know, we're handing this first segment over to DTS and kind of, you know, nail biting. Like, is everything going to go okay? Because our reputation is on the line here. It always has been. But if something goes wrong, I'm, that's what I'm worried about. But it's exciting. Exciting to have the public ride and um, see what the trains are like. What we've got to experience all these months. And let the public enjoy it now. And for me, I'm just very excited to get this done and turn this first segment over to DTS and get it ready for opening. This has been such a long time coming. You know, so many people in the public and the media and, you know, friends and neighbors that you meet talk about, you know, this is never going to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. what should we do with a guideway? Should we convert it into a bike path or whatever? You know, no one really thought that this would actually ever happen. And here we are. You know, we're ready to turn it over to the city later this week, all the assets, and people will be on the trains on June 30. And that's just a huge accomplishment. And even more so, I think, when Lori and I came in a little over two years ago and faced many problems, relationship problems with, you know, our federal agencies that, that support us and right. the congressional delegation and the city and you name it, there were relationship problems, there were technical problems, and We've worked really hard and we have a great team of people here at Heart who have worked really hard day and night, weekends, trying to get things turned around and get things to this point. So it's just very satisfying and a huge accomplishment and a huge milestone for the city and the project to be at this point. In the next three weeks, though, is there anything else that needs to be done? I know there was some mention of the hammerheads and the cracks that were forming, but is there anything else in the next three weeks? No, everything is complete. The hammerheads were done, I want to say May 21st, and then last week I did receive the letter from the engineer of record that everything is safe. We can open up the stations, get people on it. As Rick mentioned, this Friday we will be doing a ceremonial signing uh, ceremony. We're going to have Mayor, um, Council Chair, Board Chair, Roger, of course, sign a document to say, this is yours, DTS. We're handing over all the assets and then looking forward to that grand opening on June 30th. So, so exciting. I want to get to the trip to Washington just before Mayor Blangieri's last State of the City address. A tough situation to navigate knowing, like Rick mentioned, the full funding agreement delays, um, the list goes on, public trust, um, but that meeting to convince the FTA of the deliverables and then being able to say a summer opening. Um, you know, we heard it from the mayor, but I just want to hear how that situation unfolded for folks that aren't familiar um, from your side. Sure, actually it started even before that. Uh, when mayor came in, you know, he the outgoing FTA administrator made it clear to him, you need to get your act together. I mean, you have the P3 fails, the, you're changing the CEO, the relationship between the board, administration, and heart was horrible, not to mention, as Rick mentioned, every other stakeholder, the relationship that heart had was 
very damaged relationship. So, and FTA was the most critical one. So when Mayor Blangiardi and Rick and I first came in, it was, we we're trying to figure out how much this, is this system really gonna cost? So our staff put together an estimate at completion and then Mayor Blangiardi and I, we flew up there and it was nerve wracking. I've never met them before. Mm-hmm. I'm brand new to the transit age, um, industry. And I, I have to say FTA was tough, but there was a small glimmer of hope that they're going to give us a chance to try and turn this around. They know they understood mayor was new. I was new. Um, our administration was new. Fast forward, putting together the recovery plan, and we admitted to them we don't have the funds to do the full funding grant agreement scope. And we were having conversations, and Rick was instrumental. He's, he's too humble, but he wrote that recovery plan. And I mean, we had staff uh, input, give give information, but the actual text to write it, it was Rick, and we had ongoing meetings with FTA to explain we have to truncate the scope, we have no choice. And Mayor was very instrumental in that, um, board chair, council chair, um, to truncate the scope. We, my recommendation to Mayor was to get to downtown station but keep in the parking garage and because I just thought it was so politically charged. It was promised to the community. Mm-hmm. But um, it was a joint decision, mayor leading the, the charge, of course, that we need to show the public that we're going to get as far as we can. And it did not make um, technical and financial sense to include that parking garage. So that's what we did. And that was another meeting. Um, myself and mayor went up to go and meet FTA to explain the situation, why we made the certain decisions that we did, and what a blessing. It's never been done before, where FTA agreed to the truncated scope without penalizing us and taking away any of the full funding grant funds. Never been done. And so fast forward, the relationship now with FTA, it's phenomenal. I mean, they're such a huge supporter and and to help guide us along the way. Did I leave anything out, Rick? Well, I want to go back a little bit to that meeting and the significance of that meeting. And like Lori said, it wasn't just that one meeting. But when Mayor Blangiardi came into office and when Lori took over here at Hart, they started having weekly meetings right from the get-go and bringing Mayor up to speed on the issues. In the first few weeks, he listened. And then he said, okay, I'm done listening. I want to be an active participant in this. We need to figure out how to do this. And collectively, a group of us, and she mentioned um, uh, our board chair participated in some of the meetings along the way, um, council chair participated in some of the meetings, the managing director, core, DTS, a few others were in the room for most of those meetings. So that was kind of in the background going on. So mayor got involved. One of the big things, though, about that meeting, and I think one of the things that um, the FTA questioned Hart on in the past, or the city on more broadly, is the relationship between Hart and the city. In the past, it was a very troubled relationship. Uh, the prior management at Hart did not communicate to mayor's office and didn't provide updated information, didn't work closely with mayor's office, and it showed. And the FTA made comments on that, that you guys have to be on the same page. And so I think that meeting that you referred to in DC basically um, provided evidence and, and confidence to the FTA that the city administration, mayor's office, and Hart 
were finally working together on this project. And that was a huge milestone. And I think they took that to heart, no pun intended. And they, <laughs> you know, really started um, getting back behind the project. I think the other thing along the way that, you know, played into that greatly is Lori and her genuine nature when she communicates, she's open, she's honest, she tells it like it is. And I think that helped us uh, rebuild credibility and trust, not only with the FTA, but with a lot of our stakeholders. But I th think that was very meaningful, coupled with that meeting and the relationship with the city administration that really helped turn things around with the FTA. I've mentioned numerous times mm -hmm. at the, at, you know, whether I'm in the media or the town hall meetings, mayor knows this project inside and out. And I'm so proud of that fact so that when a question comes up, I don't even have to get up. Mayor can answer for me. So I take great pride in that. But that's definitely something that hasn't healed overnight, right? Like oh, you mentioned, the dysfunction between those relationships, yes. not just evident to the FTA, but the public trust as oh, well. Yes. And something that you folks did when you first came in is you made yourself available. Yes. You went to the neighborhood boards you yes. presented. You were available to the media. So this, you know, it's seemingly like access to you and your information was yes. a priority yes. when you came in. Do you think that worked? Do you think that helped as well? I, I just love that question, Brandy. Um, when we first got in, the amount of media requests, it just overwhelmed Rick and I. And we're not media people, we don't know, right? And it's like, they're throwing multiple questions at us every day, and then once you answer a question, there's follow-up questions, and it's, by the way, my deadline is in an hour. It's like, we're trying to run a project here, not respond to all of your questions. So we ended up hiring a consultant to help us because we didn't, and of course, we have Joey Manahan and his team, but, you know, still, we were just so overwhelmed. And um, that was some of the, the guidance from the, the, our um, communications consultant that you need to get out there, Lori. And I said, I have no problem. I just don't know if anyone wants to listen. <laughs> so we, we did start small neighborhood boards, rotary clubs. I think last year I did over 80 public speaking um, engagements and now, Poor Joey and his team, it's opposite. Now we're getting constant requests for us to come and speak and tell our story. And it's not just the technical, it's not just the hammerheads or the wheel rail interface. It's how did you turn this multi-billion dollar infrastructure project around? How do you, uh, Rick was um, asked by one of his colleagues in the military, can you and Lori come and speak to us? How did you turn your management team around? Because we're so siloed how did you guys fix that so yes i think the public perception has changed media was very negative and and fair you know fairly you know we deserve that heart's reputation was bad but one by one as rick and i are getting out there the public perception is changing because of how much we're getting out there and just being open honest and transparent sometimes i'm a little bit too open and honest i get in trouble i get calls from fta I don't think you're supposed to say that. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> That's just my nature. Or the the Rick Hamada show, you know, he's he's really turned his attitude towards heart. Um, he's really changed. Um, we had to represent the mayor one Wednesday on, on his show, so Rick and I went, and after that show, he said, hey, do you mind, would you be interested in doing a heart hour every Friday? And my question was, 
is it free? And he goes, of course. I'm like, oh, okay, because some people charge us, and I won't. I don't want to spend any money on that. <laughs> so he's no. So every Friday we go on, and I think he's been a real key in changing the public perception. You want to add anything, Rick? Um, I'll just add a little bit. Um, okay. Lori talked about the media, but it, and you're right, it didn't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. And when we came in, we knew there was a reputational issue and a credibility issue. I mean, everyone in town knew that. So we came in and we made a list of our key stakeholders and said, okay, we, these are the groups we need to start meeting with and talking to. Um, this is outside of the media requests and the requests for presentations, but you know, we knew city council, we knew state legislature, we knew you know, departments at the city, um, key outside parties like Hawaiian Electric and Kamehameha Schools and University of Hawaii. And we made a long list and we started trying to interact with those people and set up regular meetings with them and engaging with them. Um, the FTA is another one in the congressional delegation. I mean, the list goes on and on. But we started just getting on their radar screen and talking to them and sharing information. And many of them are like, wow, we've never had this kind of information provided to us before. Um, so we started chipping away at it, and I think those kind of relationships changed, not overnight, but fairly quickly. I think people understood, okay, these guys are being honest with us and open with us. We can work with them. We had some people tell us, we refuse to work with past management because of the attitude that they had. And I'm not necessarily meaning the, the top people in past management, but just people within the organization in the past but with you guys, we'll work with you. And so the attitudes locally started changing relatively quickly. The media and the broader public, it took longer. And it's still not there, but it's definitely improved. And with the media, you know, the, the notion that Lori was trying to get out to them is be fair with us. You know, we're not asking you to always have positive stories out there but they shouldn't all be negative stories either. Be fair with us. We'll tell you what's going on and be fair. And for those people who were fair with us, we've continued to work very closely with. And slowly over time, I think that has changed. We can definitely see the change in public perception, the way that you guys are able to mend some of the relationships out, outside of heart. But what about internally? Were there any issues you had to deal with when you first came yes, in? Yes, it, it was actually quite painful coming into heart. Um, you know, not only just like you said the public perception externally we would get beat up constantly it was every time you turn around negativity negativity but internally to heart it was it was also very painful um we first day my first day here because i don't know anybody right but we had a all hands schedule so there was about 180 people it was still during covid so it was, it was virtual and first day, I said, here's what my expectations are. Here's what we're going to do. The culture is we're going to do what's right for the taxpayer. And also, within the first three months, I'm going to do streamlining of the organization. So I'm going to look at every single resume, every single position description, and look at the qualifications. And I will be cutting people. Um, so that was Rick and I. We started interviewing with the different managers to understand what the different groups of heart did. And I remember it was one of the, probably around the Easter holiday, and I, I called Rick and I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let go quite a bit of people. It was about 40, 48% of our staff. And he was like, time out, time out. Oh, 48%. <laughs> 48%, time out, we need to uh, think about it. I said, no, I think we, uh, we need to do this. And 
to Joey Manahan's credit, what I did was I went to each manager. I said, you have two weeks to give me your reduction plan or I'm going to do it for you. Joey Manahan was one of the first to come to me and say, he had, I want to say, about 13 staff. He's down to five. So he did one of the first streamlining. He was the first cuts that I did before the other major ones. But, um, you know, for, for example, we had people, her whole job was to do a poster contest with high school students. It's we really don't need that. We're a construction company. That's what we need to do. So uh, we cut about 48% of the city staff, and we cut about 30% of the consultants. And then one by one, we started putting the top managers, converting them to city because consultants are very expensive. Some of them were paid about four to 500000 base salary, and then you put overhead on top of that, you're paying over a million dollars for one person times that by 20, right? So that was painful to do that streamlining. I know the unions were mad at me. Some board members were mad at me for doing that. But I think it spoke volumes to the public that, wow, they mean business. This is a new heart, cutting as much of the fat as you can. And we're still about the same number, about 50 people um, right now. We do need to ramp up a little bit because we're doing con more construction. That was a good time to do that because we were in a lull. I had just canceled the IDIQ contract. Um, but trying to change, break down silos, that was another thing that we needed to do. And by what we did was our project director, Nate Mettings, he said, I want everybody on one floor. Because here at Heart, we're on four different floors. We had guys out in the field, all different floors. And he says, I want everyone on one floor. It's like, that's not going to help, right? <laughs> and it's going to take too long. But I kid you not, he was right. We, we still have silos. We still have silos. But for the most part, the key people... The contractors, the designers, the construction inspectors, they're all on the same floor. Joey, I moved Joey from the executive floor down to, I said, Joey, you have to be in there so that you can understand just conversations in the hallway. You'll understand, oh, my goodness, something is coming up because he's the face for us on different fronts, so he needs to know the information. But that was pretty key, too, to breaking down the silos is putting everyone in on one floor as much as possible. And while Lori communicated this culture change on day one, it's not that easy to make it happen, though, right? You can tell people something, and it doesn't matter unless you start um, showing them and holding them accountable for that. And one thing that she pushed out was communication. You know, we have to communicate with each other. We had silos within the organization and also toward the, toward the outside. And you can talk about open, honest, and transparent communications, but that doesn't mean things to some people. But you just had to chip away at it and make sure that everybody was on the same page, everybody had the same information, everybody was talking from the same sheet, everybody was being open about the situation, about problems. You know, don't kick a problem down the road. Bring it up. If we know the problem, we can address it. If we don't know the problem, it's going to get worse. You know, talk, communicate. And I remember one meeting early on, kind of as an example of what I'm talking about. Um, in one meeting early on, a group of people, and we were discussing a potential issue. And I don't even remember now what the issue was. But something came up, and we asked the question, oh, what does DTS think about this? Because DTS is our sister city agency. They're going to be taking over the system and operating the system what does DTS think about this? And they're like, oh, we haven't talked to DTS. We've always been told not to talk to DTS about these kind of things. And we're like, why? 
you know, we're all partners in this. We're trying to do the right thing, to Lori's point, for the taxpayer. We're doing the right thing for the system. If we can't even talk to each other about potential problems or better ways to do things, that's ridiculous. So it took a while to break those walls down and, and to open people up. But, but yeah, there was a lot of, a lot of um, effort put into early on into the internal organization, the internal, um, just the, the culture of the organization and how we communicate with each other and with the outside and, and teamwork and it was, yeah, that was, we had all our external relationships, we had all the technical <laughs> problems, but that was another big, that big was. bucket of problems for us. And yeah, I think we were pretty successful in working through most of that. I want to ask you about one relationship, though, and I don't know if this will ever be mended. Uh, when you look at the businesses, you guys came into office at a time where we went through a pandemic. So not only were they feeling the pinch there, but then, you know, foot traffic and then traffic traffic is actually being affected. I think of Pearl City, I think of Dillingham. So will that relationship ever be mended and what can be done? Ooh, that's a tough question. So Dillingham is getting hit hard yeah. right now. Um, Unfortunately, it's a necessary evil that we have to do. We're trying to make it as painless as we can, you know, trying to be with the traffic control, making sure that it's clear enough that the businesses, they're still open to, open, open for business. Joey Manahan is in my ear constantly. He's like, every time you go onto the media, please make it clear, Kalihi is open for business. We talk to Google Maps and um, Apple Maps to make sure that they change their app so that we can't turn left into any of the driveways mm -hmm. to route the person directly, correctly. So if I'm coming from here and I want to go to blood bank, route me correctly so I'm going to turn right into the driveway. Mm -hmm. So that was two huge things. And that was Ed Sniffin and Roger Morton helping us get those point of contacts because nobody can just contact those two entities. Um, I know city council is trying to do something with administration to um, help compensate the businesses, but it's gonna be very difficult to administer. How do you prove that your loss of business is strictly due to the construction and not something poor management or, or, or um, COVID? But we're trying to do the best as we can out there, but it's, there's, I'm not sure what more we can do other than try to be as streamlined as we can, get in and get out as quickly as we can. Yeah, like Lori said, that's a tough question. Um, I think, that we can't really speak to what happened before we came on board, so Pearl City and, and those areas. Hopefully they're seeing, you know, they've seen bounce back and especially as rail's getting ready to open. Dillingham's tougher and even to some respect downtown, right. uh, impact on um, just motorists even, you know, getting around. I think some of it, and, and not to take away with the difficulties, you know, you're right, they had a lot of the businesses in town, including that corridor, were significantly impacted during COVID, and now they're having trouble getting staffing and different things. So I don't mean to take away from any of that, but I think part of it's just the public getting used to the new traffic flow, because this isn't going to, this is going to be kind of a long-term thing. When you think about it, we've got the utility relocation going on down Dillingham now. Following that, we're going to be coming through putting in columns and guideway construction and building stations so that road work is going to continue maybe to a different extent but it will still continue and then after the system is completed 
in many of the places along that route, there's going to be a concrete median. Mm -hmm. So those left turn situations that people are upset about right now, it's going to become, in many cases, permanent. So some of it's getting used to the traffic flow. And I think that gets to the point that Lori made about Google Maps and Apple Maps. Now, if you put a destination in, it will route you in a way that you will avoid the left turns. I think that will be helpful. But I think in the long term, I hope at least in the long term, as the rail system gets up and running through that area, which will be, you know, a while from now. But eventually, this is going to be very positive, we think, to that area. And a question came up recently about why did you go down that cor corridor to begin with? It's so congested. You know how congested it is. Why are you going down through there? That's the very reason this system needed to go down through there because that's where people live and work, and that's where the benefit of rail will be. If you bypassed that area and went down Nimitz, you would have still caused traffic problems even on Nimitz, mm -hmm. but you would have excluded that whole corridor from the benefits of rail. So... Yeah, as Lori said, it's a it's a it's an evil that has to be accommodated, but hopefully we can get through it and then the outcome will be positive. No, yeah, that's a good that's a question I get a lot, right? So why go through that? Have there been any suggestions or any you know proposals along the way that maybe would have moved it elsewhere? Right. So actually, when I first came in, I did ask my staff, "Can you folks think out of the box?" Because Dillingham, I just know from my experience at ENV, that's a spaghetti noodle nest of utilities under there. Mm -hmm. I don't want to touch it if I don't have to. So think out of the box idea. Can we go down a parallel route? Can we go down Nimitz? And, and it was actually FTA that called me because they saw it on an interview and they said, no can do. That is the approved route by city council, by the full funding grants agreement, by the EIS. You have to stay down Dillingham. And there were reasons why, as, as Rick pointed out, but along the way, one thing, I'm an engineer, so I'm pretty black and white. How can I reduce costs? How can I do things more efficient? And so, and we were getting pushback from HCC staff. They didn't want the station there because of noise and vibration. And so I started talking to one of our stakeholders, Commandment Schools, can I move it onto your property? It's gonna save us about, I wanna say it was about $150 million, save us time. We wouldn't have to relocate some of the utilities. And I'm, to Rick's point earlier, sharing this to the mayor and in the meeting, mayor's absolutely not. Lori, I know you're an engineer and you're just looking at black and white, you're trying to save money, you're trying to save time, but absolutely not. Think bigger picture, why are we here? We need to connect the four campuses, but mayor, the staff doesn't want it there. I don't wanna have to fight with them all along the way. He picks up his phone and he calls President Lasner right there. He says, I have Lori here in my office and she's thinking of moving it to Commandment School's property. Absolutely not. We are in full support. We need that station there. We need to connect all the University of Hawaii campuses. You need to leave it there. I said, okay, it's a done deal. Go back to my staff and tell them, stay the course. We're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna keep the station. It. <laughs> That's it, stay the course. We're keeping the station at HCC, so. He's a good coach. He actually helps to for me to understand. Yeah, look at the bigger picture, Lloyd. Just not at the nuts and bolts. So that was good. Yeah. You know, another one I, I hear, besides just the complaints from the business community, is for those that maybe live in Waimanalo or Manoa. You know, they say, you know, what will this do for me? Why, why um, do I? I was one of those. I was one of those. Okay, so I was back at... Um, either the design and construction or ENV, and I was under Peter Carlisle. And in cabinet, they were just launching uh, rail, 
And he said in cabinet, I need you folks to be the champions for rail. So I raised my hand. I said, why? I live in Kaneohe. I'll never use this thing. And his response was, okay, do you use the Pali? H3, Like Like, and Cal Highway. I said, yes. All of those are federally funded. So you got yours. And so when I became the ENV director and I started driving, my office was in Kapolei, and you see that traffic backed all the way up past Makakilo. It's dark. It's like 5.30 in the morning I'm driving out there, and that traffic is backed up, and then it's the same thing going the opposite way. So Peter Carlisle made me feel this small <laughs> that, <laughs> that I was being so selfish because I, don't, I didn't have to fight that traffic like the, the West, West Side families do. And I know there's kids or there's tutus in those, those cars driving so they can get here into town and sleep in the car because they don't want to have to fight that traffic. And so I, I know rail will have, it's not going to eliminate it, it will have some positive impact um, for those communities to traverse along our, our, our rail system. So for those that live on the windward side need to understand it will have an impact for the Western families, but also for us. Because when you're coming over that, the H3, or you're coming over every morning right now, I come over the Like Like, I, I hit traffic on the H1. So I'm still impacted by that traffic, but if, what, if rail can alleviate some of that traffic, they will have a positive impact on them. You, you mentioned the utility relocation, Dillingham, and if there's anybody that knows that area, it's you, Laurie. Yes. Um, how do you think your previous position prepared you for this role? Yeah, so coming into this position, I was highly criticized because I don't have transit experience. And I pushed back because I said, you know, I don't need to be the expert at transit. That's what the consultants are, or the other experts, the subject matter experts already in heart. That's what they're here for. Just like at ENV, I'm not a wastewater expert. My job as a leader is to push, make sure that anything that gets stuck, I help push it, help get things unstuck. Um, that's what I did coming into Hart. One of the first things I did, we had a utility relocation contract. It was an indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity, meaning it's a, it's a multi-million dollar contract and you're giving task orders. You never do a major infrastructure project in the IDIQ format. You do that for Manini things. Oh, I just need to move one thing, but something that massive, no. And to find out, they didn't have 100% designs. They didn't have all of the approvals from the city and third-party sta third stakeholders. It's like, what are you doing? So I canceled that contract. And the contractor was actually quite upset at me. You know, but fast forward, he said, as a taxpayer, he knew that was the right thing to do. Because we were, they are just spinning their wheels. They're out there putting out traffic control, pretending to work because they didn't have the approvals to do the work. So we spent about $100 million on that contract and only got about 7% of the work done. So cancel that contract. And I told the consultant, you get your designs done, 100% designs done, and I want all of the approvals done within six months. And they thought I was crazy. My team thought I was crazy. I said, I'm gonna help you get the approvals at the city. All you have to do is adhere to the city standards because that's what we did at ENV. That's actually how I got sucked into heart because Kathy Sokugawa and Wes Freitsaki, the DTS and DPP directors at the time, told the previous mayor, how come ENV, they have all these multi hundreds of consent decree projects, they're on time, on budget, and they don't ask for for favors or variances with the city. What, what's, what's different at ENV and Hart? 
And that was the main difference. Hart was designing or asking for variances. And a variance is the design standards say for, let's say, a sewer line, you have to have three-foot clearance from the edge of the pipe to the next utility. Ernie, Board of Water Supply, needed five-foot. So that's why I, I got involved on the opposite side, because Ernie and I are fighting hard that you have to des design to standards. There's a reason we have the standards. We're to protect our asset and protect our men and women who have to maintain those our lines. So I told our consultant, design to standards, you will get the approvals. And so sure enough, called the city. Once the designs were done, I called the city department and said, please, we're in a hurry. We need to get these designs approved. And they did. Six months. Six months we got it done. Went out for procurement. And now we're doing the Dillingham and the downtown corridors. But that was, to me, one of the biggest benefits, my experience coming from within the city. So I already had built-in relationships with stakeholders and just understanding the city process. Follow the standards, follow the rules, and things will, you know, you'll get approved much easier than trying to buck the system. Rick, what about you? Because I know that this is very much in your wheelhouse. From the day I met you in the previous administration, I could tell. How do you think that your role previously helped you? Um, okay, I'll speak to that, but I want to add one thing to what Lori just said. Um, I want to give her additional kudos because the other thing that she brings to the table that she didn't talk about is she knows how to hold people accountable, how to work with the contractors, how to structure contracts, and how to get the work done. And I think in the past, and not to discredit anyone, and I, I wasn't here hands-on before, but I think the contractors were allowed, in some cases, to go out and do their own thing without good oversight. Mm -hmm. She knows how to push them. And anytime there's an issue that gets bubbled up within heart, Lori hops in, let me know when you need me to get involved, and when she gets involved, she makes things happen. She knows how to get those things done. So I think that's another thing that she really brings to the table from the work that she did previously at the city. And then as for me, um, this is kind of, you know, my career is kind of behind me. I was a finance guy. Um, I was in public accounting, and I was CFO at a couple of organizations here in town, and then I retired. So uh, I was traveling and having a good, good time. Um, didn't really know very much about the rail project. And back to the comment I made earlier about the administration of Hart and the city not really communicating well in the past, that's really what brought me to the city. I got a call from Mayor Caldwell, and I knew him via his wife that I used to work with at Bank of Hawaii. And he called and he said, okay, I know you're not working now. I know I can't afford you, but... Uh, and I don't have a job for you, but I need somebody to come in here and help me understand what's going on at the rail project. And <clears throat> I don't know how successful <laughs> I was at that, <laughs> um, but I came in and worked with him for two or three years and didn't really work with him so much as I came in and I got involved in heart and I started coming to the meetings and um, when he made the comment about not being able to afford me, I'm like, you know, that's not an issue. I'm retired. I'm not looking for another career. If I can come in and help the city and help you, I'm interested in doing that. So I came in, I got involved with Hart, and I met a lot of the people. I met the people from the FTA. I met the PMOC. I met a lot of the, the stakeholders, and I got a pretty fundamental understanding of what all was going on with the project, in particular, a lot of the problems that were going on with the project, not the least of which was financial, uh, the financial 
analyses, the cost analyses, um, and we knew that we had a recovery plan that was going to be need to be done. So at the end of Mayor Caldwell's term, I was planning to retire again. And then when Lori accepted this job, she asked me to come over and help her. And with the relationships that I had, the people that I knew, the ability to identify what our problems were coming in, I said, sure, I'll come help you. And I committed to 18 months, <laughs> and that was two and a half years ago. And um, we're still plugging along. you're having so much fun with us. <laughs> <laughs> but well. you knew the players, you knew the issues. Right. 2.5 years later, was right. there anything about this job that surprised you? Um, you know, yes. Um, the, the job, no. But the situation, yes. We knew coming in, we kind of attribute this to uh, like a used car. You know, we came in, we knew that there were, you know, scratches on the fenders and the upholstery needed to be redone and all that. But when we came in and popped the hood and looked under the hood, it's like, oh my gosh. So some of the problems were a lot deeper and tougher than we expected them to be. But nevertheless, we knew a lot of the problems coming in. We actually started working on, you know, making a list. I mentioned a list of stakeholders and a list of issues and a list of areas that we needed to focus on. Lori and I started putting that together even before we came on board at heart. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of hit the ground running in some respect on addressing some things. Um, we knew a lot of the people. Um, I think that both of us together and me working via mayor's office and, uh, and working some with the FTA and the PMOC on that side of the house, I think both of us kind of came in and brought some credibility right out of the box because they knew who we were, they knew our backgrounds and so forth. So I think that helped. Credibility, yes. But, you know, Laura, we were talking earlier about how you really made yourself accessible, mm -hmm. right? But when you put yourself out there like that, yes. you're subject to criticism. Oh. Um, and it's been yeah. tough from the media. Yeah. We mentioned yeah. the stakeholders, you know, we, we just talked about it. But yeah. at the end of the day, what do you do to center yourself? It's, it's hard because um, so my family, like, the media and the people who, it's more the people, social media, people who are responding to the stories. They're mean. They're very mean and they're cruel. And I don't know if these people realize, but I've, I live here. I have family here. My friends are here and they have to read that stuff. And it's hard for my family, especially my sons. You know, and I don't read it intentionally. I don't go back and watch the, the videos um, afterwards, but my sons do because their friends are, are saying, yeah, do you know what they're talking about your mom? And so my youngest son, he'll say, mom, it's really hard for us to read that, but, you know, and he's very protective of his mom, right? He's mama's boy. <laughs> and he's like, you know, he calls them keyboard warriors. He's like, oh, they're so brave, mom, yeah? So they can hide behind a keyboard. They don't have their picture. They don't have their real name out there. Why don't they come to our face and tell us these things? So it is hard, you know, and it's like, um, I try to just, one, I don't try to read it, but if someone brings it to my attention, like Rick Civilbeat writes a pretty snarky article the other day on me and attacks me personally and say, wow. <laughs> okay, so I just try to brush it off and I know what I'm doing is right. Um, the, the culture that we're instilling here at heart with the staff is always do what's in the best interest of the taxpayers. And so I just keep going with that. Just keep going that knowing every decision that we're making, it's in the best interest. And I've said this numerous times, at least once a week, someone from the public is approaching me, some stranger and saying, thank you for what you're doing and for what your team is doing and continue the good work. And 
that keeps me going too. Say, like, okay, so you have one or two people who are so so negative. I'm never gonna change their mind, but I think the vast majority of the people out there, they're trying to give the new heart a chance. So I try to think of those things. Yep. <laughs> Heartening. Um, that definitely keeps you going. But I guess this next one for Rick. So, but what keeps you up at night? Hmm. Oh, um, I think the biggest thing that keeps me up at night is just the longer term plan you know we know we want to get to Alamoana how are we going to fund that how are we going to manage our current costs to be able to do that we have a procurement in the works on that then there is I think there will be um, more enthusiasm let's say toward expanding the system even further down the road so just balancing all those things um, thinking through federal grant opportunities thinking through other sources of funding thinking through ways that we can do things better here how can we support our staff how can we recognize just all those kind of things I, the technical things Lori loses sleep <laughs> over those so I'm not going to um, but just I think more of the strategic the outlook um, are the things that I dwell on a lot yeah um, there are, have been a lot of technical issues but you know when I look back at this project um, there have also been a lot of champions for this project who stands out in your mind boy at the risk of getting into trouble yeah <laughs> we don't want to forget anyone so that's hard <laughs> but you know mayor Blangiardi stands out to me um, from the day he came in He's been such a huge supporter, and his personality is so strong. He doesn't take, excuse my language, he doesn't take crap. So if someone is attacking Hart, someone is attacking the project, I mean, you see him at the town hall meetings, right? He's in your face and pushing back, and he knows all the data. So he's really supportive. And the one thing that really, really sticks out in my mind, I was already in D.C., and uh, Mayor, I found out that Mayor was going to, talk about the truncated scope in the state of the city address and so I, I panicked a little bit I was like oh my goodness okay I better call all of our stakeholders the board members I don't want the board members the the council members to find out in the media about the truncated scope because you know, we're about to talk to FTA about this but talk about taking the world off of my shoulders and he just took it on himself by making that announcement himself I didn't have to do that he did that and so he's a big to me a big champion but like rick said we have so many so many we have the board city council the state legislator the bulk of our funding is coming from the the getat we have the federal delegates um senator shots we didn't even know that extra money that he was getting the 70 million and the 64 million we had just met you know rick mentioned that we we keep his um staff abreast every quarter we meet with them we had just met with them the day before this past december just to give him an update the next day we get an email by the way hard senator shots was able to secure another 64 million it's like why didn't you tell us they said, <laughs> you usually never know what thing's going to happen right the last minute something can get pulled out but um, even the recovery plan, Senator Schatz and his staff was there working with the FTA. So we have Kamehameha Schools, HECO, University of Hawaii. We have so many, so many stakeholders that have supporters. H.Ed Ed Sniffen is a godsend. I mean, I don't even know how many times I've called him in the middle of the night. Oh, my God, Ed, something, something's happened. I need your help. No problem. So there's so many champions. It's hard to. And, of course, our own staff. Yeah. <laughs> 
And so many things happened too to help this project along before we even got involved. Yes. So we have Joy Manahan sitting in the room, and I know he and Mayor Caldwell and our board chair, uh, Colleen Hanabusa, and others were instrumental in getting some of the initial GET and TAT funding for the project several years ago. So a lot of the support goes way back. Um, but I agree with the ones that Lori mentioned as well. And with, as regards regarding Senator Schatz, you know, he the entire congressional delegation has been very supportive of us. Um, but with Senator Schatz, it's not only him but also his staff. Yeah. We meet with his staff regularly, and they provide him updates, and they help us, and they provide us feedback and guidance. So they've been really great to work with. Um, yeah, and you know, there's a lot of people that we don't even know. Yeah who have been longtime supporters of this project. We received, we constantly receive emails and letters and they come, some come through mayor's office and some come through hard and some come through other channels. But the other day we received this long letter, multiple letters stapled together and photographs. And it was, a, it's a retired state legislator. He's in his nineties and he was just going on about how much in the past he supported this project and went to bat for this project. And I didn't even know his name before I read his letter, but there's lots of people, there's a lot of detractors in the community and a lot of people who are vocal against uh, anything new really, <laughs> but against this project in particular. But there's a whole lot of people out there who have been longtime supporters and have really gone to bat for this project. And so, you know, hats off to all of them. We're, we're happy to be here where we are right now bringing it to fruition and bringing it to opening on behalf of all those people who behind the scenes have been working on this and supporting this project for many, many years. Come opening day though, besides those that have been waiting, there's gonna be a lot of people that are very unfamiliar with public transportation who will be trying yes. this for the first time. <laughs> what do you hope they take away? Because that day really is a culmination of the fruits of your labor. Yes, yes. Um, and just how beautiful it is. You know, Mayor keeps talking about the views. It is spectacular. Have you had a chance mm -hmm. to go on it? Oh, it's just I was in beautiful. The, one of the exercises. Oh, small, small okay, okay. Exercise. Just the Malka and the Makai views. It's spectacular. It's clean. Um, it's open, spacious, very user-friendly. It is. Um, once you get on there, we can accommodate the handicap. I went out there myself when I had my broken leg but <laughs> it's just um i know some people are criticizing that it's it's not going to be quite useful the first segment but only two more years and we'll get that second segment open and that'll include the um it'll include the airport mm -hmm. and so that's a pearl harbor and the stadium are, um, i'm sorry pearl harbor and the airport are the two huge employment agencies that we're going to be touching even though the first segment isn't going to be touching pearl harbor station mm -hmm. DTS is already in talks with the commanders at Pearl Harbor because there's not enough parking. This is even before the dry dock project starts. So they're going to have feeder buses that goes from the stadium and just have a special route just for Pearl Harbor. And so I just want people to get on there, get excited about it. And to Rick's point earlier, hopefully they'll, they'll want the extensions. We still need to get to Kaka'ako. We still need to get to Ala Moana and UH. But who knows? We have to... We have to go further west too. Mayor keeps talking about that. Right now, East Kapolei, it's in the middle of nowhere. And maybe we can do a spur up to Waipio. But just excited to have people get on that train. Yeah, Laura, that's interesting you mentioned, um, you know, another route maybe into Waipio. But it seems like this thing can branch off a little yeah. bit, this rail system. So what happens to Hart? Are you guys there for eternity because we'll continue <laughs> to build? Or, or what happens to Hart? That's an interesting question. So as of right now, 
Hart still needs to construct the segment two, which is to Middle Street, and then segment three, which is to Kaka'ako. But um, long term, right, I don't know what the answer is. I don't, I think we're a unique agency where construction and O&M are separated. Usually it's one. Just like when I was at ENV, we were separated where the engineers, the CIP um, <laughs> arm was separate from the O&M, and that just causes conflict. To Rick, what Rick's point earlier when he was talking about, we are constructing this for DTS. DTS is our client, so they really should have a say in the design and what elements are being included. But it would be better if maybe long-term the two agencies are combined. So I don't know what that is. That That's going to take a charter amendment. But as of right now, the way it is, we are slated to finish the second segment to Middle Street in two years, 2025, and then 2030, 2031 timeframe to Kaka'ako. So we're not going away as unless the charter changes. So we still have a lot of work to do. What people take away? Yeah, I hope people like it. You know, <laughs> just, I mean, that's just <laughs> fundamental. I hope they get out there and some people aren't going to, but I hope people get on there and say, you know what, this is actually pretty cool. And along with the coolness factor, I hope people can appreciate and look at the complexity of the stations and the trains and the amenities that are there, like platform screen gates, that we're the only commuter rail system in the country that has platform screen gates, which is a huge safety factor for riders. We have open gangways on the train, and, and this wasn't anything we did. This has been in the work a long time. But it's a, an extremely complex and complicated project, which is one reason it's taken so long to, you know, to pull it all together. But I hope people go there and can just appreciate the the magnitude of the project, the complexity of the project, and think, wow, this is actually pretty nice. You know, then beyond that, just how it can help them in the future and how it can be a functional part of our transit system. It really gives a great option for people in, in terms of transit, and I just hope people like it. Well, Lori Kahikina, Rick Keen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you oh, for thank having you us. Much, and if you have a question for Lori, Rick, Blair Bangiardi, or any of the departments here in the city and county of Honolulu, you can submit your podcast questions by heading to oneoahu.org slash podcast. And again, that date for rail's opening day is June 30th. Passenger operations begin at 2 p.m. with a grand opening celebration at the Halava Station. All rides on the system will be free for the entire opening weekend. That's from 2 p.m. on June 30th until the last train runs on July 4th. Additionally, the bus will also be waiving fares for all riders between July 1 and July 4. And don't forget, beginning on Saturday, July 1st, the first full day of rail service, passengers must have a valid holo card in order to take advantage of those free rides. Riders will be required to tap their holo cards to enter the stations, but no funds will be deducted from those cards. For more information, head to honolulu.gov rail. Mahalo for listening and until next time, aloha.